This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. So how does supply chain disruptions affect civil engineers and the projects they work on? And how can we as civil engineers help mitigate the effect that supply chain disruptions have on our projects? I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. And in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I will be talking with Mary Lamy, the Executive Vice President of the St. Louis Regional Freightway by State Development. And again, we're going to talk about infrastructure and supply chain, how they're connected and how they impact you as a civil engineer. And I do just want to take a quick minute to say thank you to Marcy Gelder Murphy. Marcy is the ASC President-Elect 2023 and she was on the podcast previously, and she referred Mary to me. And I'm so thrilled that I reached out to Mary and had her on the show because one of the interesting things about Mary is she's a civil engineer by background, and now she has really become a leader in the freight world. And I think you'll learn that through our interview today. And also, I think what she has to share with you will help you to be more well-rounded and to help serve your clients better. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Now let's dive into today's episode. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the podcast for today. Mary Laney is the Executive Vice President of the St. Louis Regional Freightway by State Development. Mary, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks for the invitation. No, excited to have you and excited to talk about this topic and how it's impacting the civil engineering world today. But before we dive into that, in your own words, maybe you could take our audience through kind of your career journey up to date to your role today. Yeah. So I spent the first 23 years of my career as a civil engineer working for the Illinois Department of Transportation in southwestern Illinois. Great opportunity, was able to work in lots of different departments. And then after 23 years, decided, hey, this is a good time to start working and try and, and see how you do on the private sector, work for two engineering firms. And then this position became available with Bi-State Development, where the region was looking for someone to lead our efforts with growing jobs in the manufacturing logistics industries, focusing on infrastructure investment, and then also uh, marketing our freight assets. Um, so Bi-State Development, um, we are actually a, an economic development organization. It's a public agency. We are enacted by a compact from Congress in 1950. Um, we are leaders in transit operations. We provide staff in the Gateway Arch 
for operating the tram system, uh, marketing and communication. We own and operate the riverboats in, in downtown St. Louis. And we also own and operate an airport in Cahokia, Illinois. And so the Freightway was just one of several business enterprises. Take us back to that decision. You know, you're working as a civil engineer. You know, what made you want to kind of make this transition? What made this role exciting to you? So it was exciting because, as I mentioned, had a lot of experience setting infrastructure priorities for roads and bridges, had a lot of experience working with industry leaders. This was really an opportunity to learn more about the other modes of transportation. And so um, it was an opportunity to be able to work with the Class 1 railroads. Class 1 railroads are the national rail carriers that are moving freight throughout the nation. Opportunity to learn and work with the barge industry, the trucking industry, our airports and manufacturing logistics. But I also could see how what the importance of infrastructure meant to those industries And with the experience I had with setting transportation priorities, the goal for our region was we wanted to step up our game. We knew working with the DOTs, they did very well as far as setting transportation priorities based on safety, congestion, and capacity. What we wanted to do is figure out, can we set infrastructure priorities based on multimodal impacts? And the best way we could do that was working with those very industries. And so something unique that we did was, and we do it several times throughout the year and work with these industry leaders, is we basically bring in all modes of transportation, industrial real estate industry, manufacturing logistics companies. And then the key to that success is we have both the Illinois and the Missouri Department of Transportation at the table. And at that point, this is where we set the criteria. And the criteria now focuses on economic development. It focuses on let's pick jobs that have the most impact to multimodal transportation. Which projects have the most impact to freight efficiency and reliability? And we have these discussions and these companies basically say, here are the projects that we need because this impacts our bottom line. This allows us to move that freight efficiently, not only through the St. Louis region, throughout the nation. That's great. And it is interesting because it's just another role that a civil engineer can play, you know, in the world. And we don't, there's just so many, I feel like there's a lot of different professions or jobs or discipline lines that civil engineers can go into, which is why we we like having someone like yourself on the podcast, because it may not be something that a lot of people out there are thinking of. And so a couple of big things that are going on right now are big buzzwords, of course, infrastructure and supply chain, right? Those two things have been talked about a lot. So what's your role setting infrastructure priorities and how is that tied to the supply chain? Yeah. So one of our region's highest priority projects is the Merchants Rail Bridge over the Mississippi River. Uh, It's a 130-year-old bridge. It is one of the primary east-west rail uh, bridges throughout the nation. Rail is one of our, our primary modes of transportation that's moving freight throughout the nation. And by improving that bridge, it's going to allow trains to cross through the St. Louis area, but through the nation more efficiently. The way it's going to do it from, from an engineering perspective is the bridge was built in 130 years old because of the different weight restrictions on a bridge that was that old. There were two sets of tracks, only one train could cross it at a time. And with this project, two trains can cross it, which improves efficiency. The uh, ramps approaching the bridge were flattened, so now speeds are, are uh, significantly higher. Um, when we asked the barge industry, what's your number one infrastructure project? And this ties into the supply chain and having all those modes of transportation work together. It was surprising, and this was that learning curve for me. 
And the barge industry said, our number one infrastructure project is the Merchants Rail Bridge. So the barge industry said a rail bridge is their number one infrastructure project. And the reason for that is their barge rates are tied to having cost-effective rail rates because freight, those commodities are coming in on rail then it's being moved from one mode of transportation to the other. And so that's where when you think of supply chain, your weakest link is really the most critical part. And so that's where for the barge industry, in order for them to continue to be cost effective, not only in the St. Louis uh, area, but at a national and global perspective, that was a reason that we needed to improve the Merchants Rail Bridge. And then taking that type of testimony when we're working with the DOTs and our elected leaders as far as this is why this project is important. This is why it impacts the supply chain. It allowed those elected leaders and the DOTs to be more effective when setting those transportation priorities. When you're talking about how one project impacts all the modes of transportation. I mean, yeah, if you could get all the freight here, but you can't distribute it, that's a problem for sure. And so that's interesting. So essentially what your organization helps to do is to inform whether it's you know government leaders or agencies to help them make decisions on where to focus from an infrastructure perspective first in order to make sure that the supply chain can stay productive and moving. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. And, and we've been doing this for about six years. I, I think another success was we had one of our interstate projects that was by state. Um, it was a by state river bridge. And we have been working on that project for about five years. And same story where we were reaching out to manufacturing companies that were actually working on both sides of the river, both in Missouri and Illinois, companies like Procter & Gamble, Anheuser-Busch, Boeing, Worldwide Technology, and basically educating the, those elected leaders in the DOTs. Here's the importance of just-in-time delivery for these companies. These companies basically have their own manufacturing ecosystem on both sides of the river. So in other words, they're not recognizing that state line. They're not recognizing the Mississippi River as a barrier. They're basically looking at the interstate system as one continuous logistics system. And so then when we started sharing that story with our federal leaders, and then we were able to generate letters of support from two states, we had companies who were operating on both sides of the river, but we actually had companies on one side of the river supporting projects on the other side of the river, and that was impactful. And when it came time for funding, we were able to secure about $600 million over three years. And that was because of the engagement and the awareness that was raised. And as you know, at times it's really difficult when you have two departments of transportation trying to fund a project at the same time, because the funding is very cyclic. One DOT may have a big capital improvement project and funding is readily available. The other one is in, a, in, a, in that part of the cycle where there's not a lot of funding. But that's where we were able to have both DOTs work collectively together because of all that work of where we had public and private sector leaders working together across industries, building that awareness, having that engagement. And we were able to secure those funds for our, our Interstate 270 project. A lot of our listeners, Mary, are civil engineering professionals. You know, they're working on their projects. They're, I'm sure that they hear a lot about supply chain, but they might not really know how the disruption of the supply chain is affecting kind of the projects they work on. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how that happens. So a great example is before COVID, we had several of our infrastructure projects that we were working on. And it was basically to help plan in advance for supply chain disruptions. And that's where 
all of us are familiar with supply chain disruptions because of the global pandemic, but obviously we have just supply chain disruptions because of weather from changes in global trade patterns. And so that's where before COVID, all the ports on the East and West Coast uh, were already working on ways to make improvements um, to their port facilities. We already had congestion at the ports in LA and Long Beach, but what was prompting a lot of that, it was the uh, Panama Canal reconstruction that made the Panama wider and deeper. And they did that because the very large ocean carrier vessels keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And because they were getting bigger, those coastal ports needed to be big ship ready. The Panama Canal needed to be big ship ready. So these are ways that um, civil engineers are helping be part of that solution for supply chain disruptions. We were working on that before COVID. And I think really with everything we've experienced really focuses on the positive role that civil engineers have with being part of that solution and finding ways that we have that redundancy within our, our freight network and be able to use all those modes of transportation. So which technologies, Mary, have the biggest impact on supply chain performance, in your opinion? With my hat that I have on, because obviously if you ask this question to somebody's in the manufacturing industry, it's going to be a little bit different. But, you know, I basically focus on freight movement 24-7. And so right now, the technology that we're really focusing on that we've made significant advancements with is the ability for predictability with freight movement and that ability to predict if there's going to be some type of disruption or if there is a disruption. And it's that real-time information. So if you are uh, transporting freight on a barge, you're going to want to know, are the river levels high? Are they low? If they're so low that you can't move your, your barge through a region, what's plan B? Plan B would then be is if you're traveling through the St. Louis area, maybe you need to stop in the St. Louis area where the infrastructure is there that you can easily move it from one mode of transportation to the other barge to rail. And so is that predictability in real time and having that information. If you've got a truck traveling from Chicago to Florida, and there is significant congestion or some type of infrastructure uh, issue in Atlanta, you need that information. In other words, when you're moving freight, every day is different. And you basically need to be prepared for when those changes take place. Interesting. So essentially technology or software that allows those that are transporting this cargo to understand what their travel circumstances and conditions are going to be like. Yep. And, and then the other part is, you know, and, and it may be, you know, again, is there congestion in another part of the nation? But the other thing is, what are the weather conditions? Are the temperatures gonna, going to drop significantly? How does that impact your refrigerated goods or goods that are not refrigerated? And so a lot of different factors that, that are helpful that if you know that ahead of time so that you can make that informed decision and figure out a different path. In the world that we're in, uh, we all have that expectation of just-in-time delivery, and uh, those standards are very difficult. And obviously, they've been even more difficult in this current environment that we're in. You mentioned before manufacturing. How does infrastructure influence site selection for the manufacturing and logistics industries? We've already seen that there are a lot of changes in customer patterns when we're purchasing things. And we know that that we have become a point where we want things in one in a day. We want it in two days. And so that's where the manufacturing logistics companies have had to adapt. And by doing that, they're looking for locations where they can meet that just-in-time location. So they're looking for locations that have close proximity to infrastructure. Now for the St. Louis region, 
We're strategically located on the Mississippi River. Best location to be on the Mississippi River in the center of the U.S. But here's the key. Just because you have those geographic advantages doesn't mean you're going to be the place of choice for a site selector. You have to have the infrastructure in place. And so those site selectors are looking for locations that you're in close proximity to rail. Where is the closest intermodal yard? Do you have a rail spur that is available, that is active? How close are you to the barge industry? What does that first mile, last mile look like? So in other words, if you're shipping a commodity from Chicago, Illinois to Southwestern Illinois, and you've done everything for that truck driver to make it there in five hours flat, and they get off the interstate, and all of a sudden they incur 20 minutes of congestion, you've lost all of that effort. So that's where they're looking for that efficiency and reliability and predictability from all the modes of transportation and that ability to find those locations. I think 60% of the logistics cost is based on transportation. 33% of it is based on just the inventory carrying costs. So in other words, you're going to build a warehouse and you're going to store inventory. And obviously you want that inventory to move as quickly as possible. That cost is about 33%. The transportation cost is 60%. So it's very significant. And I know just from dealing with a lot of our clients that are civil engineering firms, that they do a lot of work with companies like the Amazons that are looking for these warehouse locations and are thinking about all these things. So I could see how learning about this as a civil engineering firm, as a civil engineering professional, can really help you to be more well-rounded and really even provide more value to your clients, which is what we're always trying to do through the podcast, try to educate professionals in the field on different topics. That That's really interesting. Can you talk about the importance of multimodal connectivity and the importance kind of from an infrastructure perspective, Mary? Yeah. So the best story I have is, you know, we talked about different types of supply chain disruptions. So there was a period of time when you had different tariffs uh, in place on ag products. So in Washington state, typically um, grains would be railed to LA and Long Beach. And during that period of time, it wasn't cost effective to, to ship it to countries like China. So the traders instantly had to figure out where's a new customer? How can I get it to that new customer? The new customer was Egypt. And so in a blink of an eye, they're like, okay, where are the train tracks that can lead me through the nation to get to a port that would make the most sense? And so for that reason, they knew the St. Louis area. They railed it to the St. Louis area because we have the class one railroads. We have six of them. We have our intermodal yards. And they also knew we had the infrastructure in place on the Mississippi River that made it very easy, cost effective for them to move it from train to barge. And then from there, they were able to ship it down the Mississippi River to ports in southern Louisiana and then ship it um, to Egypt. So that's where it's that modal flexibility, that connectivity that allows traders in a blink of an eye to take advantage of that infrastructure if fuel prices go up. At that point, a trader might decide, eh, you know what, it's not worth sending it on a truck. Where can we put it on a rail? What regions have the rail capability? If gas prices all of a sudden flip around and maybe it's more cost effective to go on a, a train. So again, they're going to look for regions that have that capability. But I think the point is, this is that global market. So multimodal transportation impacts the global market. It allows the nation to compete in that global market. And then looking to the future, we know that the world population is going to increase significantly. We know that there are going to be food security and scarcity issues. 
the U.S. is going to be a major player in that with with uh, grain and um, our role with feeding the world. And that's where having those multimodal and that infrastructure in place in, in place so that we stand ready when you have those supply chain disruptions. And so, again, not only does it make regions like the St. Louis area more competitive, but obviously the nation and what that role is at, at a global perspective. Again, something also for you to keep in mind when you're working with your clients and they're looking for locations for things like this, warehouses, et cetera, thinking about multimodal areas, you know, that that can provide those things. I think people love to hear different examples, Mary. Can you provide us with an example of infrastructure innovation as well as like states and regions working together to support infrastructure investment? Those are things I think our listeners are thinking about. Yeah, and this is something we were actually working on before COVID. The good news, if there's any good news with a global pandemic, and that is it's a platform for others to learn more about some of the great things that, that are taking place. And one of them is our region is partnering with other ports along the Mississippi River and the inland waterways, the Missouri and the Illinois rivers, and partnering with them to launch a new option to transport containerized cargo. So those containers that you see on trucks, containers that you see on trains, we're basically wanting to put them on um, a vessel that's specifically designed to move up and down the Mississippi River. Today, that's really not a, a mode that we're fully utilizing when it comes to shipping containers. When you see barges going up the Mississippi River, that's bulk product. And so those are the barges with the, the petroleum products, with coal, with ag products. And this is where you're basically taking the containers and stacking them on a vessel. The benefit of this is a tremendous cost saving. So if we look at the model as if, let's say you're buying toilet paper from Costco, it's much cheaper if you're buying it in bulk from Costco than going to Dollar General and buying four rolls. Again, if you're shipping a container on a truck, you can typically get one or two containers on a truck. So your cost is going to be higher. On rail, you could probably get six to 800 containers on a train. On this vessel, you could probably get about 2,300 containers. So that's where you can see that scale of economy is going to drive that cost down. The other benefit is the cheapest mode of transportation is the inland waterway system. So it's already the lowest um, mode or the cheapest mode of transportation. Now we're going to super increase that scale of economy and be able to put 2,300 containers on this vessel and have it move up and down the river. So the benefits of it is it's going to be cost effective in terms of transit time in this environment we're in right now. Transit time is basically going to be the same amount of time. Prior to COVID, it was likely going to be a couple days uh, longer. And then in order for this to happen, it's about all of the ports working collectively together. The St. Louis region, we are being recognized and utilized as what we're calling a super hub. We will have um, a hub in the St. Louis area. Another facility will be in Memphis and another location in Kansas City. Uh, we're working very closely with the Maritime Administration, U.S. Department of Agriculture, and U.S. Department of Transportation. But again, this is about all of us working collectively uh, together. So we're really excited about it. The ports that I've mentioned, um, we have developers assigned to those locations. Uh, they're in the process of coordinating the infrastructure. We are hoping that by the end of this calendar year, the company American Patriot Holding, who's leading this effort, will be announcing that they will start fabrication of four of those vessels. And we're hoping this new option to transport freight um, will hopefully start sometime late 2024 or sometime in 2025. Wow. So essentially what they're doing is they're creating these vessels that are more easily transferable across the different modes. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, it, but the other thing is, it's that scale of economy. There's no other mode that's moving this volume of containers. And so by doing that, that's going to drive the prices down. And it just so happens the mode that we're going to be able to do it on is actually the mode that has the cheapest transportation costs. There's a lot of environmental benefits with it, with the fuel that they're using. Uh, it's obviously going to take trucks off the interstate where we have a lot of congestion. It's going to help with the air admissions. Uh, we've actually been working closely with the trucking industry, and they are tremendously in support of it because the types of trucking jobs are gonna be one of those more the, the one day truck drive movement versus the long haul movements. And those are the jobs that they're really struggling trying to find um, truck drivers for. All right, so let's talk a little bit about workforce development. We know how critical that is today, especially as we're going through this great resignation. And I know a lot of the civil engineering industry has been hit hard with this. However, a lot of people don't think about, you know, freight and workforce development kind of going together. So can you talk more about workforce development and what some of the latest developments in the freightway are, how they're supporting workforce development? Yeah, so a couple of things, just from like a national global perspective, what we're seeing is after and during COVID, we're seeing a lot of discussions about um, nearshoring, where companies are wanting to bring their supply chain closer together. Um, so they have a little bit more control of that. For the St. Louis area, we've recognized that we've got a lot of global companies who are, are, are following through with that business plan. And so what they're doing is they're basically having each component of their supply chain all in one region. So companies like Bungie, who is a global carrier for grain, they have their headquarters, their research and development, and an operational facility located in the St. Louis area. They're looking for regions that have all that workforce all within the same area. Some creative things that we're doing, it's public-private partnerships. It's where we have our transit operators working with tenants uh, in our industrial uh, parks and basically having that discussion. And that is, hey, we have a really robust transit operation. Um, we've got great bus service coming to your facility, but you have over 50 start and ending time uh, stops or times for all of your companies. Any chance you could adjust it slightly so it better coincides with our bus services. And they did it. The other thing we asked is, you are in a really competitive market right now for hiring and retaining staff. Have you ever considered offering transit passes to your staff? It can be used for retention and hiring purposes. And it's a way for your, your staff to get transportation to work. The other thing we did is we also took advantage of our light rail system. And we basically set up a express bus route to this industrial park. It was a huge success. We actually had to add uh, additional bus service. And so basically by doing that, it opened the um, employee pool of, of people for those employers because now anyone operating along that Metrolink line on both sides of the river had an easy way via these bus services to get to those industrial parks. It's a great story because it's public private sector leaders working together, they're forward thinking. And because of that, it was a win-win for both our workforce and having our region supply the workforce for those tenants. That's great. I mean, I think that's so important. I think in the world we live in today, one of the things that is affecting employees, I think in all industries, especially in consulting and civil engineering, is burnout. People are working around the clocks. And, you know, when they think about their jobs now and their lifestyles going forward, they want to obviously avoid burnout and try to reduce stress wherever they can. And I think the 
using mass transit to get to work is can be a way to do that. So I think by promoting that at the company level for your employees as a benefit could be a great way to, again, like you said, it's another benefit that you can offer to them, but it really can impact the quality of their lives. So I think that that's a great way to think about that if you're out there for a company who's trying to compete with all the other companies out there today. Yep. And then the other thing is obviously civil engineers, they're the ones who are designing, you know, the, the light rail facilities and the tracks and they're designing those industrial parks. And they may actually not be the ones who are using transit. But the fact is, that's the means of transportation those employees are getting uh, to those companies. And from just an overall economic impact and value to your community, that's what the contribution is of some of these projects that you're working on. Mary, what final piece of advice can you give engineers out there to help mitigate the effect that supply chain disruptions have on their projects? You know, it's a lot of the points that we talked about, and that is sometimes it's just thinking like a shipper and and a carrier. There are these industries who are under immense challenges as far as trying to get commodities from a manufacturing company. Uh, Sometimes you're moving raw materials and then you're trying to get it to that final destination. And that's where you play a really significant role um, with helping improving uh, the logistics system, with commerce, with the supply chain. And so that's where it's it's really a, a critical role and it's really thinking in terms of predictability, reliability, and you know what those challenges are for those companies. That's great. And again, this is really interesting stuff. I mean, just think about this as a civil engineer. This is an industry, you know, regarding freight, transportation, multimodal. You can get involved in all of this as a civil engineer, which is exciting and, and obviously critical to the economy going forward. Um, so we're happy to talk with Mary about that. Now what we're going to do, though, is we are going to take a break. We're going to come back and wrap up by asking Mary a few last career-related questions. So we'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, we are back with Mary Lamy, the Executive Vice President of the St. Louis Regional Freightway by State Development. We talked a lot about freight and how it impacts the economy, our projects as civil engineers. But now, Mary, we're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to put you on the what we call the civil engineering hot seat and throw a couple of last rapid fire career questions at you. You ready for it? Let's go. Mary, do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? Maybe it's a morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success. One thing that comes to mind, I think all of us, when we're getting ready to go to work or getting ready to start work, you're always thinking about what your schedule is and and what your challenges are. And I guess for me, one of the things that I do whenever I'm driving to work, I just try and focus on the things that I'm grateful for, the things that I'm appreciative, the things that are going well in my life, like my family, my friends, my job, my community, the staff that I I work on. And by focusing on those positives, all of a sudden I'm able, I'm like, okay, I got this going on. I got this going on in two weeks. And then that just kind of empowers you, gives you that confidence. I'm like, okay, I'm in good shape. I said, if something doesn't go quite right the way I have it planned, I said, I'm ready for it because I've got all this immense support. And when I think about like what happened in COVID, we all had those same feelings. And it's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen with my staff who's working from home now? How are they going to adjust? But again, feeling grateful as far as what their capabilities are and they've already adjusted. Or you get stressed about during COVID as far as What about the firefighters who work at the airport? They're going to have to go to work every day and face those challenges. And that's where I just just took a step back. I'm like, you know what? We're in good shape. 
Again, I'm grateful for everything that's going on. I'm appreciative of all these great things that are going on in my life. And we're going to get through these challenges. Based through your career so far related to kind of personal or professional development, has there been either one book or one author or one philosophy or something that you ran into that kind of stuck with you that you've leaned on throughout your career? I generally try when I read different books in my that are, are personal, not necessarily re- related to engineering and, and the work that I do. I'm usually trying to find books that help me get a better understanding of experiences, good and bad, that happen to other people. One book that I read, it was like right before COVID, and I just felt it really positioned me for all the different uh, topics and challenges and the challenging conversations that came up with COVID. And it was The um, Immortal Life of Henrietta Locke. So it was a book that was based in the mid-1950s. It was uh, based on medical history being made from cancer cells that were taken from Henrietta Locke's without her knowledge. Tremendous things happened in the medical profession for that. But yet her family never benefited from that. They had no access to medical care. And it was just really interesting having a better understanding the challenges they faced. And then when we walked into covid on how you had all these different views about is COVID real? Is it not? Who should get, you know, the vaccine for those who, you know, were against it and those who are support. And so the point is, as a civil engineer, when we're trying to move forward with our projects, you have to have a really good understanding of your community who is impacting. And you have to be able to understand their perspective, their experiences, and whether experiences that happened last week, last year, or 60 years ago, you realize that that's a skill set that you've got to be able to have, but you have to be able to listen. And when I read books like that, it's just like some of the perceptions I've, I've had, I'm like, this shouldn't be that big of a deal. And then when you read these types of books, you're like, this is really profound. And I have a better understanding on how I need to do a better job of understanding these viewpoints and these experiences of some of the stakeholders and the people in my community. If you think back on your some of your managers in the past that you've worked for, um, if you picture your favorite manager or managers, you don't have to name any names, but if you think back, kind of what made them your favorite? You know, we're trying to understand like what makes for great managers and leaders in the engineering world. Okay, it's funny how I have been in the profession for over 30 years and working with those managers and supervisors at the time, I knew I appreciated them, but over time you realize what specifically they did and and how they were such great leaders. And I know we hear a lot about mentoring programs, but I was fortunate enough to have supervisors and an organization that focused on sponsoring their staff. So I had specific managers who literally sponsored me. So a sponsor in my mind was somebody that when they were in high level staff meetings or they were in decision making uh, meetings where they're deciding who this next project would be assigned to, they would talk about me. They would say, how about Mary? She has the experience. This is how she's handled this. So they were a sponsor. They were actively talking about my skill set and marketing me so that I would be in a better position to move up or to be considered for different jobs and opportunities. So I am very grateful for what they did. And I'm calling that, a, again, a sponsor. And mentors are very good, but a sponsor is very different. And it's someone who's advocating for you and your skills. And I've always been very appreciative of that when I moved up within the Illinois Department of Transportation. But at the same time, I still need sponsors. Where we're trying to advocate for these infrastructure projects, I need 
my network of friends and my contacts to actively be talking about, here's what they're doing. I think this is good. This is how it's making a difference in the region and the nation. And so that's where my experience is, is having those previous bosses in my place of employment where I thought they did great as for sponsoring the staff. All right, Mary, I've got one final question for you. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with, let's say, a a civil engineer, maybe they're younger in their career, and you had 30 or 40 seconds with him or her to give them some kind of career advice, based on your experience to date, what would you say to them? Okay, my advice is, and it's something that I necessarily didn't do, but I've learned, and that is any opportunity you have for networking, go do it. Networking is a skill. There are specific skills that you are going to learn from networking. You're going to learn how to be a better listener, how to make sure you're making eye contact, you're being responsive, you're going to learn communication skills. It may be something as simple as maybe making sure you're confident with a handshake. So take advantage of that. You personally will develop those skills. You have to have those skills. You may be the smartest person in the room. You may have great leadership skills, but if you don't have that networking skill, it's going to be a struggle. So for me, I did not do that in college. And so when I worked for the Illinois Department of Transportation, I took advantage of those things. And that's where I, in my mind, I was probably three or four years behind the eight ball as far as compared to some of the my other coworkers. And so that's where I would absolutely recommend you do that. Now, here are the benefits of networking. It allows you to have new resources. It, for me, it was always kind of a gauge. How am I doing on this project? What are other people doing with these type of projects? Am I headed in the, the right direction? If I'm trying to get a job or a promotion, maybe these resources and relationships are going to help me out. What if I unexpectedly have to find a new job? What do I have to fall back on? So for me, I would focus on the networking. For many of us in the engineering field, this isn't always something that is easy for us to come. And my point to you is it's never easy It's a hard skill for many of us, and you might as well just start mastering it right now because it's going to help you out immensely, whether you're five years out of school or 30 years out of school. And then the other thing is you still have to keep refining it. I still work at it. I still, there are times where I'm like, I'd really rather just go home than going to that networking thing. And I recognize the value of it just as much as where I'm at with my career now as if I were 20 or 25 years old. I tell people all the time, if you don't go to that networking event, I can guarantee you no opportunities will come about, right? It's just about getting out there. Because if you do get out there and you talk to one or two people, a lot of things can happen just by talking to one or two people. So it's a critical event. So Mary, I want to thank you for spending some time with us here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Everything that you talked to us about, I think is really interesting and very, very important to where we're going in the civil engineering world today. So thank you so much for taking some time. Thanks again for the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mary. I really always love learning about different civil engineers and their progressions through their career. I mean, Mary went from civil engineering and she jumped into the freight world as a leader. And it really was interesting to me on how much the freight world, infrastructure, supply chain, civil engineering projects, they're really all tied together. And I hope that you've learned some things today that can help you to provide more value to your organization and to your clients. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. 
Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.